Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. I'm Jennifer Justice. Today, we have the wonderful Sherry Howell on. Hi, Sherry. Hi. I can't really define Sherry in a title because while she may be the CMO, right, of MedJet? Head of marketing. Head of marketing. Okay. We aren't using that title, head of marketing. She also has done like across different uh, industries in a way like no other. And I love to hear these stories because I think it's very inspiring um, and encourages women to understand that, you know, life is not linear, your career is not linear, and you can use all of these assets and experiences that you've gained over time to transfer into other industries, including when you fall back in love with a, an old sweetheart and have to move to a place like, where do you live? Tell everyone. Birmingham, Alabama. Exactly. From New York and LA. <laughs> New York, LA to Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah, Pre-COVID before remote work was anything. And as we all know, remote work seems exactly. to be a little bit. Anyway. Hi, Sherry. It was a long intro. <laughs> <laughs> nice to see you. Um, I want to start a little bit about, let's tell everybody where you, you know, where you started in your career. And uh, so we can really see how, how far you've come. Uh, and how different. Uh, I started my life at MTV, music television. Um, I was one of those many, many kids who discovered MTV on the day that it launched in my living room and was watching it with my best friend who lived next door. And we looked at each other and said, wow, we must go there. We must work there. And so he was two years ahead of me. He did this program at Hunter College, junior year abroad. Instead of going to Paris, you go to New York and they set you, set you up with internships. And that was our sole focus. So he got an internship at MTV and then he got a job two years later. I moved from University of Washington. JJ, we're both from Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was going to University of Washington. And so I did the, J, the junior year abroad in New York program. And I got an internship with MTV and I got a job there right out of Right that is it. so crazy, right? When you think I know. About talk about like setting a goal miles away. at a very young age. I'm like, I want to work there. I'll do anything. 
And I started there uh, as an assistant. I failed my typing test, but she loved me as an intern. So she held the job open for me for a couple of months. And then I actually finished school while I was starting to work there. I was English short story and poetry writing. So I would write stuff all day um, or all night, go in, I would FedEx it to school and kind of graduated correspondence course like uh, for my last two classes in my senior year. So where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. Yeah. So I was there for 15 years. Um, I started in the talent and artist relations department, which then evolved into the music and artist relations department, which then evolved into the music channel. So I got to hang out with all the rock stars. We got to choose which videos got played. So of course, everybody wanted to hang out with you and um, spent my entire 20s and, and 30s going to rock shows and fancy. Being the most popular girl in school. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Like literally every band <laughs> wanted, had, you know, had to be your best friend because you decided which videos were getting played on MTV. Yeah. And more sadly, which ones we didn't have room for. I always felt really horrible about those because so. if anybody watched MTV just like radio you realize there was about 12 of them that played an hour and yeah. then repeated the exact same ones right I know big thing I know so back in, your back job when was, played, back when they actually played music <laughs> back when they actually played music yes of course but like what time like what were some of the bands that like were you know you were dealing with at the time that were like big Oh, let's see. Um, Guns N' Roses was probably my first champion. Um, I think I was still an assistant or maybe I was the video coordinator at that time. But um, I was very vocal about Guns N' Roses, which then, you know, ushered in. I wasn't really much for the rest of the, you know, like the hair band thing. Although I loved the Poison Talk Dirty to Me video. I cranked that thing up every single time until eventually. I mean, who doesn't? Right? It was a hit. Yeah. And then, you know, the Nine Inch Nails, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, I actually <laughs> was the person that was the talent liaison and music liaison for Yo! MTV Raps. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So got into, uh, was very familiar with hip hop. Um, from my growing up in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And so when it came time to launch Yo! MTV Raps, I was the music person assigned to that with Ted and Freddie and all those people. And, uh, you know, breaking music videos out of Yo! MTV Raps onto mainstream, like into regular rotation. Uh, I remember I wasn't allowed into the music meetings quite yet, but Three Feet High and Rising, the De La Soul record, I think it was up to like 500,000. And I was like, why are we 500,000 what? Play? What? 500, albums. Three Feet oh, High yeah. and Rising. Oh, oh yeah. you mean sell? Yes. Yes. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. And I was like, we're playing these hair bands that have sold maybe 30,000 albums and we're not playing De La Soul, which has sold 500,000. Like, Like you guys need to start paying attention to this. So um, that was really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, Doing a a lot of that stuff. And then, you know, eventually it, they just started playing less and less music. And so I had moved into more of a development role, um, creating content across all the different artists, but particularly the heritage artists, because, 
we realized that we turned in like a new generation of viewer every four years. And so trying to make Madonna new to, you know, like important to a new group of viewers or Red Hot Chili Peppers or Metallica. Um, so I started thinking up programming uh, for that anytime, you know, a heritage artist would have a release out. And that was kind of my first lesson in branding. Right. Um, well, I love that. What's a, what is considered a heritage artist? Uh, you know, at the time that it's all Dr. Dre, Aerosmith, um, if mm-hmm. Aerosmith had a record coming out, Metallica, uh, I mean, how do you take a new Red Hot Chili Peppers record if they've been kind of out of that album cycle for four years, knowing that you turned a new generation of viewer and yeah, the older brother likes it, but how do you make the new kid like it? Right. So heritage in, in that way, it was like four years old, basically. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah, I know. It was crazy. But that's how fast we were turning um, demographics. Yeah. Okay. So then that's so you're basically helping them brand themselves. Yeah. Across the channel. And, you know, it kind of taught me a lot because you just started seeing artists as brands. And I think that that was kind of a nascent concept. Yeah. Uh, and it was also at a time where we were playing less and less music. And you know, every year we would go to this executive retreat. By this time, I'm a vice president. And we would you know, take off and go take two days out of our, our day-to-day work life and talk about the future of the channel, the direction of the channel, the brand of the channel. And remember the third year in a row having kind of a a little bit of a fight with the non-music people because you know they're like they got all the ratings so they wanted more real world right Mm -hmm. and we needed more music because the hours were getting cut less and less so finally three years into it I was like you guys we're having the same conversation year after year so can we just ask ourselves are we MTV music television or are we MTV television for people who like music and a whole bunch of other stuff? Mm-hmm. If that then I can tell the labels that you know because we would get beat up all the time because it's like you wouldn't have enough music hours to to really you know program all the stuff that you wanted to program, and so it's like if we are going to be MTV television for or television for people who like music and a whole bunch of other stuff, why don't we take music television off the logo? Right. Like, we just need to be MTV and be honest about what we are. Like, that would be what I now call a brand truth. Um, But it was just, it seemed like a very simple question. And I think it wasn't like six months later that they actually took uh, the music television off and kind of went on their, their merry way of being MTV. And so what were you doing then more in the development phase? Like, that um, working with us, we had a, a department that created uh, off-channel programming. Mm-hmm. So like making the band originate, like we made that with O-Town for ABC. And so that department, I was the liaison inside the channel for music. So, you know, we would... We just got tired of watching, you know, we would make LL Cool J or Brandy or Will Smith a big star, and then somebody else would go make Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or Moesha or um, In the House. Right. And so, you know, and at the time we were also, you know, rerunning My So-Called Life. So like, why don't we make stuff, give the first two runs to a network, 
pull it back and then we have it, you know, forevermore. And reality was one way that you could do that. So, right. we, um, so you were one of the first like people in reality TV because, you know, mm-hmm. MTV really. Yeah, MTV was with yeah. the real world, and uh, you know, then of course, like Big Brother, and then it just spawned a whole. Well, obviously, now it's like yeah, exactly, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, yeah, more to about that. But I did know um, that I didn't want to go that direction. So, yeah. right. So then you were like, okay, you were doing that. You're doing O-Town. You're figuring out how to build brands. And then when you did build brands, how to capitalize on the fact and not give that out to other people. Right. Right. Okay. And then where'd you go? Well, I would say my dot turned like Logan's run. Um, I just, you know, it kind of broke my heart that there was just less and less music and, and the types of programming that they were evolving into. I didn't really want to make. So mm-hmm. I had a couple choices, right? You come out of MTV, you go to a record company, or you go to uh, into production, which I didn't really want to do either of those freestanding. So I had learned so much about artists as brands and you know MTV as a brand that I partnered with a commercial production company. Um, Albert Watson's company, they were doing Victoria's Secrets commercials. They were doing, uh, I think, like Ford commercials. So we formed a Brands Meet Bands because, as you recall, that was right around the time that branded content was all fresh and new. Right. Well, I mean, there was always Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom and Howdy Doody Ovaltine, but everybody thought it was like this new thing. So, So there you go. Uh, so we formed a branded content company and mm-hmm. we kind of specialized in easing that pain point between the artist, the brand of the artist and the brand of the brand and what they wanted. Um, you probably went through that with the artists over. Yeah, <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the key, right? Yeah. yeah. It's not yeah. just what a brand wants. Cause I remember many like tequila brands coming to rock nation and it's like, no one here is a big tequila drinker. Really. You know what I mean? Things like that. But it's like also what the artist is passionate about, right? That's the key, you know? Right. So we kind of would get brought in um, to connect those. We always called it connecting the dots. Uh, so we worked with Miley Cyrus and Walmart, like Miley's management brought us in because the clothing line was, there seemed to be a little bit of a disconnect. They were still marketing, you know, they were trying to sell clothing to 14 year olds and they were still kind of leaning into the Hannah Montana thing. And, you know, Miley, of course, was, was Miley. She was often, yeah, you know, trying to be a grown up. And so there was a disconnect between that. So we kind of took over all of the stuff that she did, charity, Walmart, um, Miley and Max for about a year and washed it through this. Like we just tried to up demo everything through this, get your good on um, community and complicated, but it, it worked. Uh, we would do things like um, Will I Am and Intel, Black Eyed Peas and Snickers. Uh, we were brought in by Sports Illustrated to help them kind of do branded content once they got their website back from Time Warner. Uh, we did some work with the hard rock and, you know, trying to rebrand it and up and kind of age it down, make it heritage, yeah. <laughs> appeal to a, Yeah. Appeal to a new demographic of a hard rock fan. Right. And it was, gosh, I did that for about 10 years with a really awesome partner, Mike Jerkovac. 
And then, I mean, we won an Emmy. Our campaigns were Emmy, Clio, Webby, NAACP award, you know, nomination for a titanium lion at cons. We, we did a lot of work and it was a lot of really good work. Yeah. Amazing. (laughs) But you were like, you know, you were building this whole time on things that you had learned. And one of the things mostly you learned about was brand and talent and how to like put those together and maximize the potential of that. Right. Yes. Yeah. And again, it's just, they can either work together and make it bigger, you know, the the sum of the parts, or they can each want what they want, or and it it doesn't work out very well. So, and along the way, when you're doing these things, did you ever like, you know, especially moving from MTV, which was, I'm sure, how long were you at MTV in total? Fifteen years. Fifteen years, yeah. And going into this new kind of endeavor where you basically are an entrepreneur, right, and have to create your own stuff, like. I mean, did you have any doubts that you could do it or? <laughs> you know, on a daily basis, but I'm one of the, I, I'm one of those people where if something's not working out, um, I'm a problem solver. Mm-hmm. And so I think the hardest thing about it was, you know, you're, you're doing all the work and then you're constantly looking for more work and doing pitches and pitch decks. And, and again, had an awesome partner that handled a lot of that. Um, it's a lot of freedom. Uh, it takes a little bit of time to kind of, you know, when you're the the be all end all at MTV and everybody's, you know, trying to be your best friend. And then you go off and you do something. It was it was much I would say much yeah. more rewarding because I was making things and I was making these things work and. I had the luxury of only, you know, not having to take any projects of brands that I didn't believe in. And I think that that makes a huge difference in your comfort level and your success level. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. certainly it's it's an adjustment, you know, yeah. you don't get yeah. the Grammy party invites anymore and you don't. I know everyone's it, but... like, you're everyone's best friend. <laughs> they come, you get like 70 bouquets of flowers, you get like... Yeah sent in massive bags and then all of a sudden you're like oh, okay <laughs> is this thing still on crickets <laughs> but yes it's like but you're doing it on your terms you know yeah and emmy awards and cleos and webby's like those don't hurt that's that's oh. that's some kind of nice validation <laughs> yeah exactly all right so then why did you leave there oh the short story is uh i for personal reasons, I won't go in. I called my bad version of the notebook. Yeah. Um, I found myself down in Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, I was like, what the hell am I going to do here? So I was actually looking over at, to pick up some clients in Atlanta because it's only two hours away and there's tons of ad agencies and brands. And um, Georgia Tech had a really great upstart. I actually just come off a tech project. So I was very interested in helping um, be like a startup catalyst for them, which is like a loan out CMO for some of their tech. Mm-hmm. And just for just out of curiosity, I did a little search on what kind of companies were in Birmingham, Alabama, and I stumbled across this company called MedJet Assist and was, when I figured out what it was, which is an air medical transport travel security membership program for travelers, which sounds insanely boring, but uh, when I explain what it is, it's not. I was furious. I hadn't been a member 
for the last 30 years of my life. Like I had just gone down to Bogota, Colombia and Mexico City because one of my clients was hosting the Kids' Choice Awards. And um, I had gotten to be friendly with some of Will's security guys. And I was like, okay, I got to go to Mexico City by myself. If I just disappear, who's my mom going to call? Sure, she could. You could call it like she could call us. Give her, give her our number. We're not going to come get you. That would be really expensive. But, um, but now if I went to Bogota and just disappeared, uh, my mom would call MedJet. Mm-hmm. So it is if you're hospitalized more than 150 miles from home, they get you moved to a hospital at home. And if you just disappear, if there's a natural disaster, uh, if you are, it, it covers kidnapping for ransom. Um, violent crime, uh, extortion, riots, basically anytime you don't feel safe. It's like having a little SWAT team in your pocket. (laughs) And that's all, and that's, explain more like how it works. So it's like, you just pay a monthly fee, you know, what, like, and why don't we already have that? How is it not covered by our Amexes and whatever travel insurance or anything else that we get? Yeah, I mean, I gotta say, I always, you know, I have an Amex Platinum business card, personal card, uh, and I always assume, I always bought my plane tickets with that, always had production insurance, traveling for MTV, you just assume that if something bad happened, they'd get you home. But travel insurance, health insurance, most BTAs, business travel accident policies, they will only medevac you to the nearest acceptable hospital. And then it's the burden of proof as to being medically necessary to move home is on you. And those are things that I just never thought about traveling all over the world for MTV or myself on these productions. You just assume that that somehow, some way that was covered. And especially the security stuff. I mean, I didn't start thinking about that until I started, you know, landing in Mexico City and Bogota, Colombia by myself. But it is a membership program. You can join. Most people join annually. Uh, you can get it for short term trips. Um, but if you travel a lot, you know, two two or more trips a year, then it, it's so insanely affordable. You most people just get the the annual membership. It's like three hundred and fifteen dollars for the year to get moved to a hospital at home and not get stuck in a foreign hospital. And if you want the security and crisis response, it's a whopping 474 now, I think. So I, I honestly was mad when I found yeah. out. And I called the chief sales and marketing officer who they had just hired from American Express. And I was like, I live in Birmingham now. I this this is my these are my credentials. I've worked with Walmart, you know, Intel, all these things. I've never heard of you before. I would have been a member for 30 years. Yeah. The website is terrible. Yeah. I live here now. Can I help you? And they were like, What a way to pitch yourself. I would not recommend it. I would recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it could have gone one of two ways, but yeah. I mean, at this point, I was just, what do you got to lose? And yeah, exactly. luckily, I hit a guy who was new at the company and was absolutely looking for somebody to help rebrand rebuild, you know, all the marketing collateral, re-image it. And, you know, you and I both have pretty fat Rolodexes. I still yeah. call them Rolodex because I'm old. And uh, so it was very, uh, they were great. 
So they, they didn't like slam the phone down. They were like, you're right. All these things are true. So help us. But then, you know, I mean, how did you, again, like back to that, it's like, what did you say that you could do? How you could transfer? They were probably like, you're this big city girl doing all these things. Like, why would you want to come work for this place? You know, although it's a big company. It's a very, you know, lucrative company. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, they we work with AARP. We protect the NFL when they play their games overseas. We work with Morgan Stanley. We work with thousands and thousands of organizations and then tons of families and individuals. Every once in a while, you know, you'll see the, the renewals come through. And I'm like, wow, I know who that person is. <laughs> uh, you know, big, big Fortune 500 executives. It was actually really funny because when I when I called them, um, he was like, what the hell are you doing in Birmingham, Alabama? Wait, don't tell me. Meet me for lunch. And apparently they all had bets about why I was looking for, you know, clients in, in Birmingham. One was um, that I had embezzled money someplace. Mm-hmm. That I couldn't work in the big cities anymore. And I was like, yeah, no. And the other was that I was in witness protection. And I was like, well, I would be really crappy. I would be really crappy at being in witness protection because I gave you my real name and my resume. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not sure that was a joke, but um, it just, I just dissected everything I thought was wrong with it. And, and apparently he said that that was exactly what was wrong with it. And so they invited me to come fix it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, from very badly, sometimes, you know, sometimes people want you to come in or they say that they want you to come in and, you know, in my previous at my previous company, we had got, been brought in a couple times, and I call it going under the bus. Yeah. Where you're, there, you're shaking stuff up, but they, you know, they want it shaken up, but they really don't want the change. You know, exactly. It's too scary. Um, yeah, and they were great. They let me rip apart the website and rebuild everything. It was MedJet Assist. Now it goes by MedJet because yeah. and the two different products, and it's been great. And no, like, first of all, did you think when you were at MTV that this is where you would be, right? You know? As, no, especially for the personal reason that I'm here for. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true, too. But also, you know, knowing what, like, how you had to sell yourself on that. Like, you had nothing to lose. So you're just like, you know what, I want to I want to do this. And I'm going to give it a shot and see if they, you know, A, I like the company, right? But B, that if I can translate all of my experience over the years and make it into something that is rewarding and fulfilling, you know, because you need that too. It's not just a job, right? Because you could have consulted, you could have done all these other things, but you literally turned and you're like, you know, which I feel like is so hard for people to do. It's like, what am I really good at? And go just sell it to somebody in a different place in an area that's, you know, not, it doesn't usually like the, you know, big city folk, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, my personal reason for moving here actually is from the South. And so I got a lot of lessons on, um, on not coming in like a bull in the China shop and being cognizant of ideas. But I, you know, I will say that they're so open-minded here that it really, 
it wasn't difficult. It wasn't an under the bus situation. It was, they really truly wanted change. And that made it really rewarding because once we did everything that I wanted to do um, and they gave me the money and the freedom to do that, uh, we started almost doubling sales. Like the last, even coming out of COVID, uh, we were just talking and the MedJet Horizon membership is the one with the security. That thing has broken sales records for the last 12 months in a row. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so but most of you knowing that now people know years. about it, right? No, and it's been around for 30 years. It's the oldest company at doing what it does. And, you know, obviously the best, which is why it kind of has all the almost 80% of all luxury travel advisors sell MedJet and then you know, Morgan Stanley, AARP, the NFL, they can have anything they want and they choose MedJet. Yeah. So, right. But also because you one day called them up and said, <laughs> let me help you. Again, I wouldn't recommend that approach. Uh, you really it's not for really everyone. Nothing to lose. Yeah, exactly. I love it. <laughs> um, and so after all of this, right, and being there, how long have you been there now? Uh, I think I'm going on six years. Oh, that's crazy. I didn't even realize that was that long. Yeah. No, I figured it would take me two years to turn everything around and then I'd be, you know, kind of on my merry way. But I love this company and they really, you know, I didn't tell anybody I worked here for the first three months because I was like $300 a month. I mean, $300 a year, like $400. Seventy dollars for security response. That there's got to be a catch to it, right? right. There's got to be a catch to it. Right. And you were like the so, and you know, people like us were really protective with our contacts, and yeah. so of course it was like, hey, who can you introduce us to? And I was like, I just want to be here for a little while and make sure that this is actually super legit. And they really, I mean, they deal with we deal with people. It's funny because I always thought kind of the third. The third incarnation of my career, the first one, MTV, great, you know, great fun. Second one, entrepreneur, you know, kind of leaned into the marketing, but still in the music aspect of it. This one never worked in travel before, like had never done any of that. And I really thought that I would be more in, in into charity, like that yeah. my, my final thing would probably be a nonprofit or taking all of that to like really help people. But on a daily basis, you know, people call us from all over the world. They've had an accident or they're, you know, they're really, really sick. They're scared. They're stuck in a foreign hospital. And we send a team that shows up at their bedside, rolls them out, puts them on a jet, um, brings them to the hospital of their choice at home. It could be your home hospital or, you know, sometimes people discover something not great. Uh, while they're overseas and we'll take them straight to like an MD Anderson or a Mayo clinic. We had a surfer break his neck down in Nicaragua. And um, I know it was horrible too, because they got to the hospital in Managua and um, it was, it was a broken neck and they said that they couldn't treat him. And then about, I don't know, an hour later, they came and asked them to leave. I'm like, how do you ask a person with a broken neck to leave? So his brother actually had arranged to have, um, uh, I'm taken straight to a spinal surgery center here in the U.S. So we took them there instead of home to. Yeah. Atlanta. But I mean, it's just on a daily basis. And, you know, we go out and we shoot these testimonials. And sometimes, I mean, these people, 
they cry. They're just so relieved when that team shows up and they're like, it was these voices, these like Southern voices. And we knew it was MedJet. We knew we were going home. Oh, horrible. Right. <laughs> I mean, from Guns and Roses to. I know. Yeah, I love it. Um, awesome. Look, I know that we can't keep you this whole time, but let's talk about how people can find MedJet first. And then I have to ask you the question I ask everybody. So if people want to find MedJet, how do they do that? They go to MedJet.com. <laughs> Simple. Super hard. Yeah. Medjet.com. All right. I love it. Okay. And then, you know, what I always ask everyone and their final question on here is what is the worst advice that you've ever received? Uh, That would be from my dad um, to be a female engineer. I did not like math. My dad was the Dean of Engineering at the Coast Guard Academy, you know, the hardest one to get into. He had a master's in engineering, a master's in business. He was the captain of the polar class icebreakers. He would bring home woman engineer (laughs) and put it out on the coffee table. I would bring, I would buy Adweek and put it on the coffee table just as a little um, pushback and try to explain that, you know, Darren Stevens on Bewitched makes a very good living in advertising. I'm pretty sure I can too. Yeah. And then, of course, I discovered MTV and then I was just like, yeah. I just want to go there. But, you know, it wasn't for me. And yeah. and as much as I loved my dad, it just that I knew what I wanted and I stuck to my guns and I got what I wanted. And, you know, the first couple of years I worked there, I, I think my dad clipped out every article about is MTV a fad? Like he was very, yeah. worried, about, very worried about whether I was actually going to have a career or not, you know. And uh, about, well, I think I had just gotten promoted to manager, maybe director, and I had my own office and and they came to my office to see me and it was actually my birthday. And the office is like overflowing with flowers. I've yeah. got my assistant setting outside. We've got six floors of a building in Times Square. And he just kind of looked at me and was like, I guess this, I guess this was a good choice, you know? Um, so make your own way. You know, it's don't let anybody tell you what you should be and do something that you love. Cause if you do things that you love, you will succeed. And you'll find pivots along the way and end up in places and always have a job when your personal reason makes you move to Birmingham, Alabama. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, I do love that he tried to give me a female engineer because it's like still something that we need these days. But if your mind and your heart was not into it, then it just wouldn't you it wouldn't have been there for you. I had plenty of exposure to it. I just and I like I killed it at physics. I killed it at spatial relations. I killed it. It just it just didn't it wasn't for me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, well, we still have you here. Um, Now I know you because I wouldn't (laughs) if you're a lady engineer. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on this episode of Taking for Having Me Business. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Justice. 49 faces looked to him in triumph. Over the last 12 months, they had each taken turns and promoted his business for a week at a time, driving over $987,342 in revenue. What if you had a network of 50 centers of influence who promoted your business every week for a year? Grab your copy of the number one Amazon bestselling book, The Ultimate Guide to Growing Your Business with a Podcast, at 33% off the Amazon price by going to ultimatepodcastbook.com. Again, that website for 33% off the Amazon price is ultimatepodcastbook.com.